smash hit peep this noise i'm logan johnson and i like oh, i already did hamilton i already said i like hamilton but i really like hamilton <laughs> i'm gonna say that i like avatar the last airbender the live action series coming to netflix it's a lie but it's what i'm gonna say it's going to be grittier sexier with older kids and more blood <laughs> You know what I love about a good TV show is the line, sexier with older kids. <laughs> That's what I want to hear today. Um, podcast is done. Hey, have you ever seen Riverdale? I'm I'm just going to... Sexier, but with older kids. Good point. <laughs> yeah, but that that is the reason I heard that um, that, that is the written... Uh, that is like the the written text that I read somewhere on the internet yesterday yeah. as to why the uh, as to why the original creators um backed out on it is because uh because according to whatever article I read they wanted to make it uh grittier uh grittier gorier sec and sexier with older kids the wording from uh, one of their statements because there are two statements from the creators one of the creators made it like a very like sometimes these things just don't work out kind of statement and the other creator was like no they wanted quote more violence sex and blood and for it not to be a kid's show anymore and so we left what do you call that show, actually? Avatar the Last something bender, probably. Maybe Avatar, Avatar just... the Last Bender. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> Avatar the Last Bender, which that's is good. also the Hangover Part 4. Uh, hearing, <laughs> you're hearing on the podcast the voices of Greg Marchant and Nathaniel Johnson. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves formally. Um, hi, I'm Greg Marchant, and uh, this week, I, I don't know if I like it, but I am impressed by the uh, powers of technology. Um, I... I say I don't like it because I had to get my fingerprints taken for a background check yesterday, and they made me put like this stuff that felt like vegetable oil or thin motor oil on my hands. So while I'm impressed by technology, I'm kind of uh, concerned by um I'm kind of concerned by some of the uh, process, some of the lengths we go through to use technology. I mean, I just want nice little hand lube for when I use my iPhone. <laughs> hand lube? That's the best you could come up with was hand lube? Um, I, I point, yes, it was the best I could come up with. <laughs> I, I pointed out to these, uh, to these guys earlier for our audience that the stuff that they make you put on your hands before using the electronic fingerprint scanner, it they call it lotion, or at least the person who gave it to me called it lotion. Uh, but it it kind of feels like the uh, the type of oil that you use to fix a squeaky door hinge, <laughs> like WD forty or something like that. Like uh, like speed oil. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, right, right, right. Like the little drip can stuff, or like what Dorothy uses on the Tin Man. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. It feels like that. <laughs> See, I love this because you're creating like this dystopian nightmare in my mind, where either like you're living out like some weird Wizard of Oz fantasy. Or you're like secretly Agent uh, like K from Men in Black, like getting initiated into it, and you have to like burn off your fingerprints or something, which is like the most wild concept ever. My, <laughs> oh, they're they're still there. <laughs> my favorite idea is this: you went to go sc have your fingerprints like scanned. I assume they use like a, an imprinting machine, not like a ink. 
Right. Uh, yeah, it was it was just like a it was just like a little glass yeah. panel that you put your fingers on and it shines a it, it was basically a photocopier right and you hadn't lubricated your hands yet so i just love this idea of this mental image that you went to no that that's of... the that was the point at which i they they told me before i even greg you gotta let me finish the bit okay sorry sorry <laughs> you gotta let me finish the bit you went to go put your finger on the glass and you just heard an fbi agent in the back say oil can <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh the other voice you've heard uh, I'm Nathaniel Johnson, and I really like Dark Souls 3. Fair. It's the first Souls game that I've actually picked up, and maybe it's because it's my fourth Souls game at this point, that I have like been like, oh, I'm actually like good at this game from the oh. start. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about it being the best one, and I was about to throw hands for Bloodborne. No, um, I will say this. like It, it plays smoother than any of the other games that I've played, um, but, that's, but Bloodborne that's is a the close point. contender. That's the point of Bloodborne. The right. point is you got caught in the rocks and hit by the, hit in the head by an axe. That's the point. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to hurt you emotionally. <laughs> yep. Um, with really liking Dark Souls 3, I've just been loving the moment-to-moment gameplay of this, and that's not an experience I've had with any other Souls game so far. Really? Yeah. Man, we have different feelings about Bloodborne, but Now, okay. I love Bloodborne. Do not mistake me. I love me some Bloodborne. People who follow me on Twitter know that I put my list of top five favorite games, and I put Bloodborne on there twice. <laughs> like, that's where I feel about this game. Um, it's really good. Yeah, Bloodborne is very good, but uh, Dark Souls 3 might be my favorite Souls game so far. Nice. Well, there's never really a smooth transition out of this point where we're talking about cool, fun stuff we encountered this week, but I do want to talk about what we are actually talking about for this episode, uh, which is the new Taylor Swift album, Folklore. Uh, we're maybe a month after its release almost now. It's the 15th, so we're, we're maybe 20-something days out of its release. And uh, people have t- had time to sit with this album, myself included, to listen to it, to think about it. Um, it's kind of a unique album because it is not traditionally... It, it does not follow the traditional pattern of an album release, right? Especially in the wider music industry, uh, marketing folks in music really like it when you release a couple of singles, when you make a couple of songs available before. That way people can get hyped for the album. I mean, fans like this too, right? They like to know a little bit about what's coming. They like to hear different songs. It, it makes it so that you can kind of get a flavor for what the artist is working on, right? When we heard uh, Taylor Swift's four singles from Lover, we kind of had an idea of what she was doing with that album by the time it, it was released. Uh, Folklore, Taylor Swift announced on the 23rd of July that she was just releasing this album that night. Um, She made several different versions of it available for purchase on her website and said, like, let's do this thing. So Taylor Swift fans had about 24 hours to get hyped for the release of this thing. And uh, Logan, how long did it take you to get hyped? Uh, I had pre-ordered an album in 30 minutes. So I was, on the 23rd, I should have you know, I was woken up to a call from my sister where she basically screamed in my ear that Taylor Swift was releasing a new album. So yeah, uh, it went it went pretty well uh, for me as a Taylor Swift fan. But I uh, yeah, that's basically the background of this this album and where this comes from. So kind of a surprise album, really different for Taylor Swift. Another thing that's important to note here, she has a song that she kind of uses as the flagship single here. It's Cardigan, the second track on the album. But Cardigan's not really a radio single. In fact, like if you listen to the radio, you will know that you're not really hearing any folklore on it at all, right? It's just not an album that really made it to the radio. Um, and so it, it becomes kind of a very different thing 
for Taylor Swift because some of her more recent albums, 1989 had five radio singles. Even her first album, Taylor Swift, had five massively successful radio singles. That was her debut. Um, and so that's like the Taylor Swift way. And so for an album that just doesn't have any, it's it's very different. So I want to talk with you guys just kind of as a soft open here about what your guys' background with Taylor Swift is. Have you heard very much of her music? Um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've heard... I I used to have one CD. It was her 2000... I was just looking it up. It was her 2006 album that's just called Taylor Swift. I used to have that... Bear. I used to have that CD, and then I've just heard everything that's been on the radio. So you're familiar with songs like Tied Together with a Smile? I, I really like that song, yeah. It's a great it's song. It's a jam. It's, it's really good. Yeah, I yeah. really liked that song, especially in high school, yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. Mar- Mary's yeah. Song. Mary's Song is good. Uh, Stay Beautiful. Classics. Yeah. Uh, so my experience with Taylor Swift has always, with every single album that has ever come out by her, followed this exact same trajectory somebody usually a close family member like my brother or my sister or my mom has been like oh my gosh you have to hear this song by taylor swift and at first of course it was like well who's taylor swift now of course you know it's just like okay like she came out with another album like i guess i'll listen like and my 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 impression is always taylor's fine like i like taylor swift this is fine and then I go and listen to whatever song they recommended after they usually basically have to tie me down to do it. And I go, wow, this is great. I love this. And then I inevitably listen to the whole album and I fall in love with the whole album. And I just go, where was this the whole time? <laughs> well, last August, what was it that I got you on? Miss Americana and the Heartbreak That's Prince exactly what you Lover. got me on. Yeah. Yes. There's always a track, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a track that... That's a really good way to summarize that. My background is I've been a Taylor Swift fan since... I mean, I remember listening to our song on the radio. My mom and I literally heard it 11 times in one day, and it, we never got sick of it that whole time we were listening to it. Um, I And then I've kind of been a, an actual Taylor Swift fan since Fearless. I really hit my, my fandom stride in 2016, um, coming back from Canada and listening to 1989 and Red on repeat, two albums that I'd not had much experience with. And then, you know, she released reputation like arguably my least favorite taylor swift album so i spent some time really into emotion by carly ray jepson and then i'm i'm back on taylor swift now um, speaking of emotion by carly ray that one also is great go check that out if you yeah have. that album whips it's like she really picks up the torch when taylor swift drops it there around reputation times really picks up best pop album and just runs with it um super good album but yeah so i but i've heard all of her music all of it and i pretty much like it unequivocally (laughs) yeah um so yeah i i do want to talk about this album specifically though i mean we could have taken a moment to talk about lover or red two other taylor swift albums that are really good we could have pulled back and used the excuse of a new album to talk about those uh but this one's actually a pretty different taylor swift album yeah you said that you felt like this album was written for you i actually felt that way about lover too um very funny stories so lover is like a very jack antonoff uh heavy production album he produced most of that album and he is the lead guitarist for the band fun and at the time lover was released i've been listening to fun for like nothing but fun for like eight weeks (laughs) and then taylor swift was like what if i did a fun album (laughs) Uh, and this one, I, I felt much the same about it. I'd been listening to a ton of Bob Dylan and a ton of other folk artists. I mean, you know, people like Phoebe Bridgers, people like 
uh, Mount Erie, people who come from this folk tradition. And then one day I wake up and Taylor Swift's like, yo, I'm doing folk pop, right? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I want to talk about this being in, I mean, you guys have heard some folk rock music. And I want to talk about like, what about Taylor Swift's attempt at folk pop here kind of sticks out to you and reminds you of what we've heard and what's a little different? Um, I mean, if I can jump in the, uh, oh, which song was it? It wasn't Seven. Oh, it good, because I want to talk about Seven. It was, um, oh gosh, it was one of the songs about, uh, it was one of the songs about suicide. <laughs> one of the two. Um, the, uh, oh, hold on. Maybe maybe Nathaniel I'll can go talk about Seven while uh, I get Yeah, I got nothing for songs about up. suicide on this record, so we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was listening to Seven, and I had already at one point finished the album this morning while I was listening to it again, and it started playing other music, and it started playing Seven when I started re-listening through it, and I was like, wait, did we switch to other music? Like, did we somehow get on to Phoebe Bridgers? That was legitimately my thought, and then I went, no, this is still Taylor Swift, but if you would have told me that this was a song by Phoebe Bridgers, I would have totally believed you. Totally. Like, I wouldn't have even questioned it. I mean, Seven is for sure the the folkiest song on the, the most folked up song on this album. Um, it's really, it's really in that tradition. And it, I mean, this is also the song that says, like, passed down, like, folk songs in it, right? This is the song that loosely the album title comes from. So that makes sense. Okay, so I found it. The song I was thinking of is Mirror Ball, and as soon as it started playing, I I thought that I was listening to Emotional Motion Sickness by Phoebe Bridgers. Fair. Cause I think it I think it uses the I think it's in the same key, and I think it uses the uh I think it uses the same general like instrumentals and uh and like musical beats. They're pretty similar songs. Yeah. Like they they were very similar. The reason that I said it, the reason that it also reminded me about Phoebe Bridgers is that I had just come off of. Uh, so Mirrorball comes right off, comes right after my tears ricochet. Yes. In which there is a line in the song that suggests that uh, that suggests that she took her own life. I can't remember. Uh, that makes sense. I I can't remember uh, exactly what the line is, but there is a line in there. And then I was I was actually. Um, just sitting there with Elena, um, listening to this and Mirrorball came on and Elena was just like, man, there are a lot of songs about death on this album. And I was like, is that the, and I was basically like, is that the take you're getting here too? Cause this, uh, this sounds like she's hanging herself. Yeah. I, hmm. That's an interesting question. I would maybe push back on it a little bit, given kind of the tradition and origin of both of these songs. Okay. Um, I can't I'd speak to know necessarily more. to like a suicide reference in My Tears Ricochet. One of the lines in that song is, you had to kill me, but it killed you just the same. Um, and that is definitely like a dark breakup song in the tradition of folk, where it does have a lot of references to death, right? The repetitive line that sticks out is, if, you're, if I'm dead to you, why are you at the wake? Right. And yeah. then followed up by cursing my name, wishing I stayed. Look at how my tears ricochet. Yeah. And so, like, this is definitely, like, uh, there's thematic tie-ins, right, to all of this. Um, Taylor Swift spoke specifically about Mirrorball in a letter that she wrote. And this is actually a good transition to what we're going to talk about in our next question. Taylor Swift talked about Mirrorball 
um, being the mirror ball is of course like a disco ball, right? Hanging from the ceiling. Um, and one of the things that she said, so, so I guess I'll transition to the next question, maybe explain the background. Uh, this is the first Taylor Swift album to draw huge amounts of narrative inspiration from outside of her life. Um, and then my question is what effect does this have on the album overall? Do you like it better than some of the, of her other work and, and why or why not? And we'll talk about that. But the reason this is important is the reason we know that this is large, a lot of this is drawn away from her own life is because she actually put a letter out with the album that basically says as much. And one of the things that she says is she got to certain points where she was, she would become fixated on certain themes or certain ideas. And one of the ideas that she specifically mentions is a disco ball hanging in an empty room. Right. And so I, I think that like, obviously once an artist releases something, releases something, it has its own life and we can analyze it in whatever way. Right. And we can definitely view it as, as an allegory of types for suicide. But it's interesting that she describes it actually literally born out of a fixation on a physical object. Okay. Um, One of my favorite and maybe another line from that song that kind of pushes back on the conception of of it being uh, a little bit darker like that is is when she says, I'm still trying anything to get you to laugh at me. Right. And you would you would hear part of that um, or to keep you laughing at me, maybe. And then she has other ones that say to keep you looking at me. Right. Yeah. But the idea that you would maybe be laughing at somebody who had taken their own life is is maybe a little more grim yeah. than than maybe she would be aiming to do. But I think that what you're suggesting doesn't necessarily lose its merit. Right. This idea of of a uh, of those types of themes is really heavy in folk. Yeah. So my that that's good to have that context because I obviously didn't read that letter. I would have known about. Yeah, that context is super helpful. That. In fact, if you guys will take a minute to share a few more thoughts, I will actually see if I can find it. So, I'll I'll throw out there my uh, the reasons that those uh, two songs, "My Tears Ricochet" and "Mirrorball," kind of made my thoughts go in that direction as far as how to interpret it. Um, so my tears ricochet, the, the specific line that I was thinking of is the repeated line. Um, I didn't have it in myself to go with grace. Um, and then after, um, after the, uh, after one of those, it says, cause when I'd fight, you'd tell me I was brave. And if I'm dead to you, why are you at the wake? And that, um, that kind of uh that kind of positioning of those lines um uh that kind of uh oh yeah and then it finishes cursing my name wishing i stayed mm-hmm. that kind of positioning of the lines made me uh made me interpret it that way and then with um and then with a uh, mirror ball it it was kind of the imagery of it so she has uh she has the the line in the chorus on my tall, uh, on my tallest tiptoes in my highest heels, um, spinning, spinning on my tallest tiptoes in my highest heels, um, which is visually like stretching the stretching the image upward, right? And then she talks about a she talks about her as a mirror ball, her broken edges reflecting all uh. Res- reflecting back all uh aspects of who you are or something like that totally. like when you look I'll show at you me every version of yourself spinning tonight. i'll show you every version of yourself tonight and she talks about her broken as a mirror ball her broken edges um 
And so visually that was kind of since since the person is the mirror ball and they're up stretched on tiptoes and highest spinning tiptoes. highest tiptoes tallest tiptoes highest heels the uh, the yeah in yeah, an empty gym reflecting back every aspect of uh showing showing the person every aspect of who they are uh doing anything to get you to look at me mm-hmm. Th- those were the those were the lines that my brain put together to get there totally and, and it, I, it felt like uh, and part of it might have been because both of those songs made me think of the Phoebe Bridgers album that we listened to totally that could be a big part of that the other thing too that I think is really important here is whether or not these songs are actually speaking to these ideas they are very clearly evocative of these types of feelings and these types of sentiments, right? Like in, in some ways, especially those two songs, this really does land pretty securely in the realm of folk pop. Right. And in that way, it's pretty different from anything Taylor Swift has put out before. Right. Uh, I managed to, to chase down that letter and I, I think I'll read a little bit from it. Maybe I'll read the whole thing. Cause it's not actually that long. Here's what Taylor Swift says about this album. She says it started with imagery Visuals that popped into my mind and piqued my curiosity. Stars drawn around scars. A cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later. Battleships sinking into the ocean down, down, down. The tree swing in the woods of my childhood. Hushed tones of let's run away and never doing it. The sun-drenched month of August sipped away like a bottle of wine. A mirrored disco ball hovering above a dance floor. A whiskey bottle beckoning. Hands held through plastic, a single thread that for better or for worse ties you to your face. Pretty soon these images in my head grew faces that were names and became characters. I found myself not only writing my own stories, but also writing about or from the perspective of people I've never met, people I've known, or those I wish I hadn't. An exiled man walking the bluffs of a, of a land that isn't his own, wondering how it all went so terribly, terribly wrong. An embittered tormentor showing up at the funeral of his fallen object of obsession. A 17-year-old standing on a porch learning to apologize. Love-struck kids wandering up and down the Evergreen High Line. My grandfather Dean landing at Guadalcanal in 1942. A misfit widow getting gleeful revenge on the town that cast her out. A tale that becomes folklore is one that is passed down and whispered around, sometimes even sung about. The lines between fantasy and reality blur and the boundaries between truth and fiction become almost indiscernible. Speculation over time becomes fact. Myths, ghost stories and fables, fairy tales and parables, gossip and legend, someone's secrets written in the sky for all to behold. In isolation, my imagination has run wild and this album is the result, a collection of songs and stories that flowed like a stream of consciousness. Picking up a pen was my way of escaping into fantasy, history, and memory. I've told these stories to the best of my ability with all the love, wonder, and whimsy they deserve. Now it's up to you to pass them down. So she definitely comes at it with this kind of angle of um, these stories are, are like pointedly about something else. And I, the reason I took the time to read the whole letter is especially with that last line, I think viewing them in different ways or coming up with our own ideas of what we think these songs might mean is an important part of the passing down of this album. Well, I think there's maybe a more cynical way to read that last line as like a little bit trite. I really do think that the way that we interpret and the way that we theorize about different songs is part of that tradition. I want to talk about with the letter, uh, that bit where she talks about um, her writing these in isolation, um, obviously in relation to the pandemic. Uh, But furthermore, uh, she talks about how folklore tales exist in the real world. 
how their stories they get passed around. And personally, at least, when I think of folklore, I'm not thinking of the things that we as, like, the mass population fall for. That's not what these stories are. Like, and when I say fall for, I mean the things that just aren't true, right? And I think about, like, the small, isolated places of the world that have their own stories that are related to just that, where these stories exist in isolation from the rest of the world somehow. Um, you've got that look on your eyes. Yeah, you're speaking to what we called in Canada the Kawartha spirit. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> the Kawartha spirit is a bit of local folklore that I created in the city of Kawartha Lakes, Canada. The motto of Kawartha Lakes, Canada, Ontario specifically, is catch the Kawartha spirit. Well, <laughs> it only took that one line for me to start saying, like, there is a Kawartha spirit <laughs> and begin spreading that around and joking about it to the point that it became kind of a long running inside joke. Who knows if that joke survives for another 50 years? And if it does, who knows what it looks like, right? By the end of that, does it become folklore? Because I joked about this really bad city motto that makes it sound like they want you to catch a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that was that was why I smiled. Sorry to pull you off your thought, but no, you're totally good. Uh, but that's that's kind of what I mean, right? Like, and we all have these things, right? Whatever we define as isolation, whether that's a large-ish community or small community. I mean, there are there are stories that we tell about those that are a step or two removed from us, and they're never big enough to make it larger than you know our closest circle of friends or family. But that's where they exist is in the isolated moments. And it's cool that she wrote an album in isolation based around this idea of folklore. Some of her, I mean, part of part of that idea of in isolation that you brought up originally is that a lot of the time it's a geographical isolation, yes. not just a social isolation, but it's it's geographically bounded. Like you don't talk about bits of folklore without being able to, you know, gesture at the house up the hill and talk about the last great American dynasty. Right. Like that's, uh, there's a, there's a book that maybe at some point, if I can figure out where I put it, it, I'll have you guys read. It's called wisdom sits in places. Okay. And it's, a uh, it's an anthropologist. Uh, this, this particular anthropologist worked, um, worked with, uh, um, Native American tribes in Arizona for um, for many many years um, uh, for many many years but he only ever published two books about his experience and they were both fairly short books and Wisdom Sits in Places was all about uh, was all about their um, their geographically centered memories so basically folklore in, in this sense and it, it's the idea that you don't talk like you you don't talk about the the lessons or memories that you know folklore is is about unless you can see the unless you can see the you know the place where it happened you go to the place and the wisdom from that place is there you that's that's how you learn a, learn about it you go and you learn the folklore by being around the places where the lore happened. I mean, in a way, that's, like, why we have history field trips as, like, a regular thing. Like, people go and visit Gettysburg, right? When, like, realistically speaking, you can learn about Gettysburg 
just fine in your own home and you can learn about the Battle of Gettysburg. You have the internet. There are video documentaries. You can do all of this. And yet people will still, like, make trips to Gettysburg or they'll make trips to the nation's capital, right? Like, there's something and, about location that and matters. And, yeah, it'll it'll be different, like... Right, yeah. right, right, right. Like, it will be a better experience, in theory. Um, how much of a better experience, I don't think we can quantitatively say, but no, somehow but... we all agree that, like, going and seeing the Declaration of Independence itself, instead of just a picture of it, is somehow more impactful. I, I just thought it was cool on this album that Taylor Swift did kind of capture that. Like, yes. Uh, the, the best example is obviously The Last Great American Dynasty. But there are a lot of examples, maybe because this album is so imagery focused, where it's where it's grounded in a place. Like you have a wake, you have um, you have uh, a forest, you have a a stream or a creek or whatever that you were too afraid to jump into at seven years old, and all of these things. Like right, you have these locationally. Why did I say locationally? Geographically, there we go. <laughs> grounded, uh, grounded events in these songs, and that was, uh, that was a difference from what I typically expect from Taylor Swift. But reflecting back on it, I've seen it in some other. Uh, I've seen it in some other uh, music that she's done. Yeah, Taylor Swift tends, in my opinion, to focus more on experiences and emotions, and this one has that for sure like those are still a thing that exists in this album uh it, it's it's weird it feels like in a lot of ways where a lot of her music is always like on the cutting edge of stuff like she's always um putting forth something that's new and is pushing whatever genre she's working in this feels more like it's part of a big root system that exists already and that she's drawing on older traditions it's kind of surprising that it took her until now, at least surprising to me that it took her to, until now to go this direction, considering that the biggest appeal for me in her songs and for, I think, a lot of other people has always been her skill as a storyteller. I've, I've, heard, mm. uh, I've heard recorded live performances, and she's not a great vocalist. I'll, I'll be really honest. They're like, she, she's not a great vocalist. She struggles to hit solid pitches and stuff like that but it doesn't matter because that's not why you listen to a taylor swift song you listen to it for the storytelling and the especially the relatable storytelling in it yeah and if i can lend a little bit too to what you said about her vocal abilities right one of my absolute favorite things our favorite live taylor swift thing so i actually you guys probably don't know this about me but i have like a collection of taylor swift rarities like, no i know this about besides you. like besides of vinyl records that have live recordings on them but one of my favorite like Taylor Swift live recordings she ever did was a, a NPR Tiny Desk concert where she just had a piano and a, an acoustic guitar and it was just her. And to speak to what you said, Greg, yeah, she's not always flawless at hitting the notes. But for people who really like Taylor Swift, like not only does it not matter, we're also like vibing with it in a weird way, right? Like it adds a certain like level of rawness to her, the emotive side of it that one of her regular produced tracks just doesn't have yeah the one the one that i always remember was a performance that i saw like recorded and put on tv for some program of uh, picture to burn oh sure yeah it, and it was a really good stage performance but she didn't 
she the what she was singing didn't sound at all like the notes that I knew from listening to the listening to the track of that song. Totally. But it was, it was still good to listen to. Yeah, I have an acoustic version of Picture to Burn that is uh, a fundamentally different song because it was recorded when she played it live. And granted, in I think in, in defense of maybe especially that song in particular, she was very extremely 16 when she was playing <laughs> that song live. And so like, like it's weird to conceptualize Taylor Swift in these terms, and I think maybe this speaks a little bit to why this album, like you said, Greg, is so long in the running and why this is maybe something we came to expect. I think about her her opening single on her first album is Tim McGraw, where she says, when you think Tim McGraw, I hope you think my favorite song, the one we danced to all night long, the moon like a spotlight on the lake. Even there, she's evoking ideas and imageries and even a specific lake with a specific moon, right? Like, so it is a little weird that this is such a long time coming, but when you put it in context of the fact that one of her biggest singles of all time, Love Story, from her best-selling album, um she wrote when she was 18 <laughs> like then you kind of remember like okay part of the reason is because while we always think of taylor swift as this person with this massive amount, sorry about that i just bumped the table i was gonna say we we knocked over a bottle of lotion earlier or rather the ghost did the ghost um, the kawartha spirit yeah the kawartha spirit knocked over uh, maybe some baby oil or something it's uh it's baby shampoo so like, uh, so like shampoo that won't irritate eyes. Yeah, I watched it yeet itself off of a couch. So uh, yeah, it was kind of disturbing. <laughs> if this if this pivots to a paranormal uh, investigation cast here pretty soon, check us out on our next podcast, Kawartha Hunters. Kawartha Hunters <laughs> is good. I Kawartha Spirited Away is good. That's good. That's um, good. Greg, your turn for a pitch. Um. All that popped into my head was into the unknown. <laughs> into That's a really the unknown. <laughs> Let's see if I can hit it. Into the unknown. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Idina Gregzel. <laughs> and I apologize. <laughs> Idina Gregzel, thank you. That was uh, how long you've been waiting to use that one? Uh 15 maybe 17 seconds um <laughs> anyway to kind of circle back on on taylor swift here i think there there is kind of this idea that this is something that has been a long time coming in in taylor swift's work and it's this this album that really doesn't fit with the rest of what she's done but in in another way it does right i i i did want to say i didn't get a chance to mention earlier but this particular album not the first couple of tracks but as it uh, as it went on, reminded me more and more of her name title album. Is there a word for that? Self-titled. Self-titled album. Yeah. Thank you. Um, her self-titled self-titled album, which is the one that I used to own. Um, in in that uh, in that there was a lot of really good storytelling, and some of the musical elements felt more because it was folk style. Some of the musical, some of the music in it felt more country again, mm-hmm. which I, my relationship with Taylor Swift's music has been along the lines of, I don't really like her first step into whatever new genre she goes into. Then I tend to like stuff later on. Like, uh, like I, I don't like We Are Never Getting Back Together. 
an objectively wrong opinion. But yeah, it's fine. objectively wrong. That <laughs> it, song is great. That song annoys me. <laughs> That's fair, but it's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> fair, but I just don't like it. I get that. But... The song is also about me. More on that later. <laughs> that was actually last episode we talked about. Did that. we on mic? Yeah, but I like. Uh, but I like some of the other songs that she's done in a similar style. Like I like Mean. Oh, Mean is maybe maybe my favorite Taylor Swift song. Like, like, I'm trying to remember Mean. Help me out. Oh, we'll listen to it after. Everybody go listen to Mean by Taylor Swift. It's from her third album. Give Speaking me like one I... line. Why you gotta be so mean? Okay, maybe I don't know this song. What What's the lyric? I can see you years from now in a bar talking over a football game with that same big loud opinion, but no one's listening. I don't think I know this song. Washed up and ranting about the same old bitter things. Drunk and going on about how I can't sing. <laughs> Is this song about Greg? All you are is mean <laughs> and a liar and pathetic and alone in life and mean. <laughs> no, I don't know this song. Dude, you're kidding. It's maybe my favorite Taylor Swift song ever written. <laughs> um, that third album, Speak Now, is some of her most inventive poetry. Here I was yeah. thinking I heard like basically everything by her and I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. It would seem not. So like I, I like mean. Mm. I don't like some of the other stuff like it i don't think she did some of the other tracks as well like uh like never getting back together I'm sure i i don't like some of that when uh when i i eventually grew to love feeling 22 oh man that song's so good but i didn't like it at first fair um the the first pop song like really legitimate pop song of taylor swift that i liked right away was um Oh, what's it? I I forget the name of it, but it's. I knew you were trouble when you walked in. That's the name. Trouble. I knew you were. Trouble. I knew you were trouble when you walked yeah. in. Yeah. I knew you were trouble. Or I knew you were trouble. Yeah. I, I. That was the first one that I that I really liked from her from her pop stuff, and the rest of it I grew to I grew to like. Mm-hmm. But I always really liked her, uh, her original stuff. So when I started listening to this, and I listened to the one, which is the first track. I, you know, she did the same thing with track number seven, which is also called seven. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. <laughs> it's just the on, most Taylor Swift thing that's ever been tailored. And it's very good <laughs> on uh, there. Anyway, um, I, I heard the one and I didn't like it so much. And then I heard Cardigan. I was like, OK, this is this is decent. But then as it started going on with the rest of the stuff, I grew to like it more and more. Sure. Um, and then also I, I realized that it was reminding me more and more of her self-titled album in a lot of ways, just the, just the style and the, just the style and the tone of the songs. Like a a lot of the songs on that self-titled album were very downbeat, uh, reflective, sad songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think about this in like connection with what Nathaniel said about this feeling like the roots of Taylor Swift a little bit, right? Like we've dug something up here. And, and you know, you'll hear in music people talk a lot about how an artist is going back to their roots, right? And I don't really feel like this is like this is not like, oh, finally Taylor Swift is making a return to her original style, right? Because in, in a lot of ways it feels distinct from that, right? I mean, this is an album. Of an album. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. This is an album that has like, f-bombs dropped on it right like well and that's not even what i mean by mature i mean like you could not pair these songs with teardrops on my guitar teardrops on my guitar and illicit affairs are diametrically opposed these are just not even (laughs) sort of the same although you could uh you could uh 
random thought. You could definitely pair um, invisible string with tied together with a smile. Totally. I think that, I think that would make a lovely combination. Totally. But yeah. it, it, when we talk about pairing these songs, it, it, it almost sounds like we're talking about pairing cheese with wine. Right, right. right. Like <laughs> the fact that we can pair them and that we see p- differences and things like that. I think what it is is Taylor Swift isn't going back to her roots. In a lot of ways, it's almost like we're just seeing her roots. Right. right. We're we're getting a clearer image of not what's going on in her life from her album, but what's going on in her head from her album. And that's like a very different thing and it lends to a very different flavor of album. Well, and I think that I think that because obviously she did have such a strong influence from country. I mean, look at her entire first album as we've been talking about. I mean that is a country album. Right, that's right? what I mean. And her first song is Tim McGraw. Like Timothy McGraw. <laughs> <laughs> like she is not only in that album, like doing country. She is referencing other country music. Um, and my point with that, though, is country music, of course, has a lot of roots with folk music. Um, and arguably, country is a form of folk. And we can go to war over this off mic, but I strongly disagree. Yeah, I'll just I'll just throw in the I'll just throw in the bridging text as far as I understand like the historical roots of the music. Um, politically, uh, politically, both country and folk are uh, country was originally very left leaning radical music. It was originally. I know. It's so sad. And now so that's sad. and now that is the part that folk music has kind of carried on, but they both originated in the same place. Just one uh I think folk music was a little bit more Appalachian and mm-hmm. uh and country music was a little bit more towards the the Mississippi as far as uh as far as what uh as far as what people were singing about right. and i know a lot of people like country music but i think we can all agree that they are now very distinct yes, they are genres, very different right? genres. Like, and but, then yeah and then country music became over time much more the music of the the much more conservative 2001 music yeah 2001 we can put a year on it 2001 i mean okay. it's before that actually yes but, but that that's that's just like the bridging history is yes. they originated in the same kind of in they had the same roots they grew up in two different kind of places with different influences and then diverged from each other later on you also get our country becoming more of a rock kind of scene Mm -hmm. when you get sweet home alabama by led zeppelin which is actually just not a country song it's actually just a rock protest song and it whips but um when you get that song that's when you get country artists begin to see like i can sing about the country in these with these instruments with guitar electric guitars and drums and and then you start to get a whole new tradition right and it's a totally different genre at this point and i'm not trying to say like folk and country are just the same thing that's that's not don't mess with me country is not a subgenre of folk no 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 (laughs) nor the other way around but they are fight about it they are related yeah and they are deeply related tied together by an invisible string yes (laughs) um and what i was going to say with this though is i think it's impossible for somebody like taylor swift who has such a strong country influence to not eventually end up recognizing a strong folk influence at some point, Mm -hmm. because even if she never does folk folk by virtue of existing in such close relationship to country, right? 
influences country and vice versa. Country also became a lot more about uh, about dancing. It was something that you could move to, and totally. folk is uh, folk. The point of it is storytelling. John Denver is country, but he's a storyteller. And whenever you get someone who has country roots and tells a story with it, it is basically folk music on a certain mm-hmm. level because folk music is about the storytelling and country music is more about the is more about the sound and mm-hmm. is more about the sound and the feelings well bob dylan we talked about him last time and bob dylan <laughs> was a rock artist he wrote rock and roll music and then it's he starts to get this idea that you know for the narrative purposes i'm trying to fill folk is actually much closer and then he you know creates folk rock folk rock because he's bob dylan but <laughs> he he really work, begins to work in the space for exactly what you're speaking to greg right that you need to have like folk is just stronger for narrative it's you country makes you get up and dance folk makes you lay down and die right <laughs> like strong for both of those like strong recommendations <laughs> yeah and but my point was though because they do share so many so much of their heritage um, together. Mm-hmm. It was impossible that she wasn't influenced by it, and it was especially impossible that however many albums it's been and 14 years later and wild success and a lot of hard work that she mm-hmm. can't have at some point gone, folk has really influenced me. I should try some folk. Well, here's another important part of this picture, too. A lot of the time when artists end up collaborating, um, they... It ends with it starts with an artist saying, "Hey, I've heard your music and I like your sound. We should do a project together, right?" Especially artists who have more independence, like Taylor Swift, right? Um, when you think about folklore as an album, a lot of people maybe who aren't as into the Taylor Swift scene as I am don't know this. The No Taylor Swift album is like a one woman show, right? Her first three are produced by a guy named Nathan Chapman, and that's why they have like a really common through line. And then she begins to branch out and work with different producers from that point. Jack Antonoff, I mentioned, is a huge... I mean, in her announcement for Folklore, she says there's a couple tracks by me and Jack Antonoff, who's basically musical family at this point. That's how many songs they've done together. But the majority of Folklore is actually produced and, and co-written musically by a guy named Aaron Dessner, who's the lead singer for The Nationals. And it's it's revealing, if you know anything about The Nationals, they're... A, they definitely fit more in this tone, right? She has a song here featuring Bon Iver, which is a, a bigger name in kind of like... Bon Iver is a group that people will be like, oh, I listen to indie music, I listen to Bon Iver. <laughs> and people who listen to indie music are like, sure, kid, right? Like, you listen to indie music, which, because technically it's true, right? Right up there in the same tradition as like the Lumineers. Like, people are like, oh, I love indie music. I listen to Lumineers all the time. Well, and you're like, like, okay, the, we'll get there. <laughs> or uh, to step off of the music... Uh, analogies when people are like oh yeah i watch anime i've seen like spirited away totally and it's just like i mean like yes you have seen some anime right but you don't it's it's a different thing but it's it reveals a little bit i think of what taylor swift is listening to in preparation for this album right so the influence is is undeniable right when somebody sits down and calls aaron Dessner and is like i want to write music with you they are definitely leaning into stuff like people like bon iver and the nationals have worked on before right they've they've been listening to that so that makes sense. Well, long pause. Yeah, sorry. I had to move, <laughs> like physically move to the way I was sitting. Um, but yeah, I 
I guess maybe before we close this out, I just want to talk about like what songs you guys did like or didn't. If there are any that you like really hated, maybe we can talk about that too. So shocker, Logan recommended this piece for us, which means that I don't like it any of it at I all. I know, I've heard that's true. <laughs> no, I actually uh really had a couple of songs that I did just love. Um I really, really love Illicit Affairs and Last Great American Dynasty. Great songs. Um but I also feel like those are probably more of her like her least folk songs on this folk album. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, like, as somebody who listens to a chunk of folk, this album is not really folk, right? Like, bless her heart, like, this is probably as close as we'll see Taylor Swift get, right? But this album is not really folk music, right? And I'm totally good with that. I did not expect... But it is folk pop, so the pop songs are good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I... I did actually really like this album. I did not like the one. It's really hard really? for me to figure out. It's really hard for me to figure out exactly why, because it's great poetry, and I love poetry in music. Like that. That's the reason that. That's the reason why I like Eagles music so much, is because it's all really good poetry, <laughs> um, and the one is really good poetry. But I didn't like it. I think maybe just musically it wasn't very strong. Hmm. Like I, I just didn't really feel the feel the music. It just wasn't a very exciting start to the to the album. The maybe the music didn't pair with the didn't pair with the lyrics quite as well as I wanted it to. I really liked, uh, I really liked the last Great American Dynasty. I liked Mirrorball a lot again because of the poetry and I thought the music went really well with it that time and uh Invisible String was my favorite. I I really liked Invisible String because it reminded me of uh of her um self-titled album that I used to listen to a lot cuz I really liked that album and Invisible String reminded me of it. Totally. Invisible String's also my favorite on this whole record. Um my favorite line of that song is when she says, uh, bad was the blood of the song in the cab on your first trip to LA. It's just a very funny way of framing the fact that, um, <laughs> he was listening to bad blood <laughs> on his, when her, like, this is a song about her, her current boyfriend. Like this is maybe the most personal one. And it's very funny to be like, Hey, remember when you flew in and you heard my song on the radio and you like, we hadn't met, like, it's very funny. Right. <laughs> and I, I like that a lot. Um, I like this, Again, kind of this personal tradition that you're speaking to here. I to speak to some of my favorites. I have my stats pulled up, <laughs> of which I've listened to the most. Uh, at 42 listens in like the last again like three weeks, <laughs> I've listened to Betty 42 times and the one 40 times. I knew it was going to be close between those two. Uh, Illicit Affairs and Invisible String both are at 35. <laughs> so like I've listened to parts of this album a ton. Um, I really like the one, but I want to kind of talk about it because, or maybe not in depth, but maybe suggest why you maybe don't like it as much, right? It reminds me of a Taylor Swift song called State of Grace, which is the opening song for Red, which was when Taylor Swift moved out of her Speak Now era into Red, she essentially said, I'm going to start writing pop music. And then by the time she goes from Red to 1989, she's saying, I am only going to write pop music, (laughs) right? Um, But in... State of Grace, which is that track opener for Red, she 
it's like a very different song from the rest of the album. Musically, it, it's very slow, but it's also kind of weirdly fast at parts. It doesn't really fit. And people, you, when you talk to Taylor Swift fans, people will say they are very divided on State of Grace. People either love it or they can't stand it, right? And so I think that maybe in, because when I think of the one from Folklore, I think, wow, like one of Taylor Swift's strongest openers ever, right? Okay. I'm like almost a perfect song. Like this is great. And I'm thinking maybe that it probably lands similarly in this same kind of State of Grace camp where musically it doesn't, it's a little different. It doesn't always line up. And so you either love it or you hate it. Yeah. It, so I, I've i read it. So as we've been sitting here, I've read through the lyrics twice now of that one, like once earlier mm-hmm. on and once like as we were talking about this. It is a great poem. I love it as a poem. Roaring 20s, tossing I, pennies in the pool. It, it's just, uh, and it, it's, got the, it's got maybe like the nicest ending of any song on this album, I think. Is the it it could have been it would have been sweet if it were me. Yeah, it's like, nice that that those those last few lines there, the best ending of any song on the album. I still don't like to listen to it. I, I'll just read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like I like that ending a lot. Actually, the line preceding it is uh, "Rose flowing with your chosen family," and it would have been sweet if it could have been me, which is like very funny because Rose is like. It's like a wine, right? And so it's like we're having a party with the family that you chose, and that wine would have been sweet or sweeter if I had been, if you had been the one, right? It's like a very, very good uh, emotional song. Well, we've we've talked about Taylor Swift for a minute now, so I'm gonna get some final takes. How do we feel about this album? Now you both said there's songs you really like. How do we feel about the album? Are you going to listen to the album either in whole or or most of it? Uh, again, where do we land? I'll I'll listen to it again at some point. I I liked it. Um, I would probably not listen to it all as all as an album, but maybe as part of a playlist with other songs yeah. mixed in because it was kind of I I needed some ups along with the downs, and I didn't feel like I got so many totally. of them. <laughs> yeah, you have invisible string, and um, yeah. Yeah, Invisible String. Last Great American Dynasty is a little bit of an up at times because it does have such, like, a strong, like, vengeful energy to it, right? Like, this whole, like, like, this At the same time, people are dying again, just, like... Totally, but it's got also this very flippant (laughs) allusion to, like, the madness of women in it, right? Like, from a feminist uh, literary analysis perspective, this song would be just fascinating to dissect and to imagine because, I mean... One of the cornerstone texts about female writers is called The Mad Woman in the Attic, literally alluding to the fact that all female writers come off as crazy because they don't fit in with the male perspective, right? Uh, That kind of thing has this very flippant allusion to that kind of tradition and that kind of understanding that I think is very fun. But you're right. People are dropping it. It had a good good Great Gatsby feel, but it also had bad Great Gatsby feel. Totally. The actual (laughs) Roaring Twenties, not just the one she talks about in the one. Yeah. yeah, very powerful. Uh, that that's also the song that has "I had a marvelous time ruining everything" as one of the lines, which is just great. But she then, filled the pool with champagne. I know, and swam with the big names. <laughs> great song, great. Nathaniel, where do you land? So, I've got kind of two thoughts with this. The first is that I start law school in 
like less than five days now like i think it's like four help i'm drowning um emotionally um if you want to know if you want to keep a constant time countdown on that you can just like go to his twitter and look at his replies and every four or five replies he gives an active countdown to somebody he's tweeting to i think the most recent one i saw was 4.2 days something like that (laughs) i think it might have been 5.4 or 4.5 or something like that um the point is though uh i'm really really nervous in and of itself about like being able to have any time to do things that i enjoy uh, which is like an insane fear that i have um, but I'm worried about like experiencing new things I enjoy, like watching new movies and playing new games as it is. And so the thought of revisiting stuff is like, oh, am I actually going to ever do that again? And of course I am. But right. like a part of me goes, no, I'm not. Um, and so then I have to look at this album though and go, hmm, I know I'm going to be re-listening to Taylor Swift's music. How much of that is actually going to be from this though, with the limited time that I have? Um, and I don't think a lot of it is going to be that. Some of it is. I really like Illicit Affairs, for example. That'll probably be like, listen to that a hundred times over the next year or so. And the rest will probably just get left by the wayside, unfortunately, for me. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair, right? I think, honestly, to speak to this, I think this is where many, many, many Taylor Swift fans are going to land with this album. I, I maybe am speaking differently, but like a lot of the Taylor Swift fans that I talk to, like they were like, oh, her new album is really good, and they're all listening to Lover three weeks later, yep. right? Because that's that, where I'm at. Because that album whips, right? Um, yeah, so that's that's fair, I think. Like it's like if you only have three and a half minutes to pick a Taylor Swift song, are you really going to pick one from Folklore? The answer for me is probably yes. This is maybe my favorite. Taylor yes, Swift we know album. this. We we knew like, this. You've gotten us to listen to how many different folk albums I, on this believe show? Believe me, don't I know it? It's uh, Red, Folklore, and. Uh, lover are my three favorite Taylor Swift albums which like for somebody who's entering their 30s and is dropping like my two two of my favorite albums of theirs like I'm pretty pleased with where Taylor Swift is at right now Um, for our listeners that table kick wasn't me that was Nathaniel hey everybody's Mm -hmm. always freaking falcon kicking this table and it's (laughs) a bummer for for like to paint an audio picture for people at home we're like sitting on the floor around two coffee tables shoved together and that maybe explains a little bit about why things have been so weird uh our we don't have a regular recording place but i was gonna say our regular recording place wasn't available that's a lie. We don't have a regular recording place. <laughs> but our intended for this week wasn't available. Yeah. We, and so we end up in kind of an awkward situation. Um, I'll end with maybe a thought about Taylor Swift in general. Or do you have something to add, Greg? Okay. I'll end with maybe a Taylor Swift thought in general. One of the things my good buddy Jonathan Nielsen, co-host of the old podcast That Odious Beast Gaming, pour one out for Top G. Um... One thing he said about Taylor Swift, we were in a car at four in the morning throwing papers for somebody who we really must have liked at the time. (laughs) And uh, we were in my old Mazda protege. I had a Taylor Swift album in there. We were listening to it. We killed the car battery with the AC, the light, and the speakers in that car. And we had to ask somebody whose paper we delivered two hours late to jump it for us just so we could keep driving listening to the Taylor Swift album. And one of the things John said at the time about Taylor Swift was, you know, Taylor Swift is an interesting artist because Taylor Swift's music is a lot like candy, right? Like you can just like sit there and like love some Taylor Swift. But if you listen to too much Taylor Swift, you will get very sick of Taylor Swift, right? This was John's feeling about Taylor Swift that like you could only listen to so much. And I realized like 
much like actual candy in the real world, I have no limit of consumption for Taylor Swift. <laughs> like I will never actually get sick because I will continue to listen to her music and continue to. I even, people who know me really well know that this is a big leap for me. I even started listening to Reputation and started getting into some of those tracks and trying to figure out what she's trying to do. Um, understanding her music recently as a set of experiments has made me more willing to to bridge that gap that is, is normally so far for me. So yeah, uh, obviously I freaking love this album. <laughs> like obviously. It's not quite like Lover. I mentioned my music play stats. Lover has my highest played song of all time, which is Death by a Thousand Cuts. In the last year, I've listened to that song 115 times. Oh my gosh. Which is twice a week, <laughs> at least, that I've listened to Death by a Thousand Cuts. So like, you know. That's a lot. But ultimately, I end up loving this album, and I end up landing in a really positive place with it, and I'm excited to see where Taylor Swift's music goes from here. Well, thanks so much for listening to another album uh, that I snuck in to peep this noise, and thanks so much for for bearing with us on this. This is a special reminder to go listen to Mean. We're going to do it right after this recording finishes. Uh, Great Taylor Swift song, like just an absolute club banger. Um, I would like to remind you that you can find us on social media, at Twitter at Peep This Noise, and you can contact us on email, mail at peepthisnoise.com. Took me a second to swipe over to the show notes. Next time we're going to be talking about uh, Alexander Hamilton, specifically the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical Hamilton, available on Disney+. Plus. So, you know, if you don't have Disney+, Plus, it's time to fork over your hard-earned money to a multi-billion dollar corporation again. Um... So you can watch it, and we'll be talking about it. If you can't watch it, it turns out there's only one spoken scene in the entire musical, so you could listen to the soundtrack, and you'll probably have a pretty good idea of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and just a reminder for everybody, after that, the next thing we're going to be doing is The Serpent and the Rainbow by Wade Davis. It's a book. Um, get it at your library. Uh pay like ten dollars for it as an ebook or something like that mm-hmm. but we are going to be doing that one uh we are going to be doing that one next and it's about 300 pages i think so if you haven't started it uh if you listened to a previous episode and you were thinking about reading it you probably should start because i know we're all i know most people during these crazy times are pretty crazy busy yeah. so now's the time to, yeah. to listen to that um, we'd like to give a special thank you to Katie Davidson and the band Key Losers. They're the ones who uh, recorded the song Don't Know Why that you hear at the beginning and end of every show. Um, I, I've i done it, right? I've done my due diligence on plugging this and telling people to go listen to this album, right? Like, um, if you haven't, do it. <laughs> Peep that noise. And thank you for listening to... Thank you for peeping this noise. Thank you for peeping the noise that is peep this noise. And remember, everybody likes bad things. So open up your mind, let the wind inside.